G'day. Welcome to the latest World Cup warm-up podcast from 442FM. We've got special guest Lucy Zelch from SBS and Inside Sport Editor Jeff Centenera. Welcome to 442 FM. We are in the depths of SBS today, down in the dungeons, uh, and we've got special guest Lucy Zelich. Hello! The, the depths or the bowels of SBS? I don't know, it depends, because we've done a lot of podcasts down here, Kevin. I tell you what, it sounds like it's coming from our bowels. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually what happens when we have the podcast, and that, that's the end product. Well, so it's good then that we're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> and I've also got another special guest as well, Jeff Centenara from Inside Sport. Uh, good to be here. I have to say that uh, Bowels of SBS still outranks the, the heights of, uh, of Next Media. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, parent company. You might be unemployed after this, after that comment. Well, you know, I'll, I'll store up a few more comments to get me more unemployed. You know, go out in a blaze of glory. There is only truth there, though. We have to com- combat with the people next door speaking too loudly on the phone. <laughs> Thanks, Maka. Um, so, yes, we are here because we're all, well, Lucy and I are about to go off to Russia. Jeff's going to watch it on television, unfortunately. Jeff, why aren't you going, can I ask? Uh, Personal policy of avoiding Russia. Oh, okay. All right. Again, (laughs) really racking up the brownie points with your your employer (laughs) and Putin. You will never get to Russia ever again. Absolutely. (laughs) They make it hard for you, though. Don't worry about that. You you and I have both had that shouting match outside the the Russian embassy, haven't we? Oh, yes, we have. I've had multiple experiences with the Russian embassy. Now, I feel like I should be given a VIP loyalty card of some description from the amount of trips that I've undertaken down to that joint in Wallara. But obviously, being at the Confeds last year, I had my own experiences there. But this one was a far smoother one because I'd learned my lessons very well. I didn't want to have to pay an extra two or three visits there this time around. But, you know, I think it might, just as a a small tip for the Russians, having at least one person there that speaks English probably would be an advantage. Kev, they don't give a damn. damn. If you're not filling out your application correctly and you're not turning up ready to go to the rodeo, they're not interested in saddling you up. Let's just say that. Haven't they reabsorbed all their kind of English speakers back into Russia to prepare for the World Cup? Uh, Isn't isn't that the idea, that that they need as many English speakers as possible just to run the tournament? (laughs) Or they just could be sleepers within the Australian society ready to wreak havoc. Um, However, that's our problems. We've got some... uh, Socceroos and football things to talk about. Um, we've got the Czech game tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm losing track of days already. Uh, what do you reckon we're going to see from Bert? Oh, look, it's been a, a widely discussed topic when it comes to Bert van Marwijk, hasn't it? Um, and the predominant and underlying headline um, that's been attached to him is what kind of tactics is he going to employ? What kind of um, you know, footballing philosophy is he going to bring to this Socceroos side? And we've already had the opportunity in the last two round of friendlies to see what he's made of from a tactical perspective. Will he come along with the same approach against the Czech then in the subsequent match against Hungary? And then, of course, when we go off to the big dance at the World Cup, um, I think it remains to be seen at this stage, but I don't think, um, Kev and, and Jeff, I, I'm not sure from your perspective, we're going to see too much variation from him tactically. Um, we'd like to think that we would. Um, everybody from their own personal perspective when it comes down to aesthetics would like to see Australia play in a certain way. Are we going to get that? I'm not sure that we will, 
But, um, you know, against the Czech Republic, this is a good opportunity for us to be able to, to see just how well the team have adapted to what he's been able to implement in Antalya at their training base in Turkey. From his comments alone... Just back up there, can we get that pronunciation again? <laughs> of who? Uh, Turkey, the, the, the base in Turkey. Antalya. 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 <laughs> I didn't think there was too much of a spin no, no, on that. It's just like butter. It's Cause, just great. Well, because I've always been hammered about my pronunciations, right? And so just to make it clear to everybody, when you're a young child, um, being of Croatian descent, you get dragged into a Croatian gulag and they teach you how to overpronounce the shit over foreigners' names. So that's why I'm here and I found my home at SBS because of that. Yeah? Um, but look, uh, judging by all of Van Marvak's comments, he's saying now that I'm surprised at how well the team have adapted to what I'm trying to implement tactically. He said, everything I've, uh, everything I've asked them to do, they've done. So whether that means, you know, um, they've adapted to it because it's just his law and that's it, they don't have a choice. But there was an interesting qualification he put into that. He said that they do exactly as he says. <laughs> and that's why he keeps praising their discipline, right? Yes, but he says he wants to see them do more, act more on their own initiative okay. and interpret what he's saying. And he's disappo- I think he's disappointed by that. And I thought that was a really interesting... There is a surprising amount of negativity there coming is. from him. There is, and that's the concern. Um, because, again, like I said, we've all been having those conversations about what kind of football is he going to play. And mm. people have already made that judgment based on the last two friendly matches that we've seen. A lot of people, the majority, I would have to say, and I, I don't want to say I'm speaking on behalf of everybody, but they haven't been all that thrilled because it is a very big departure from the football that we saw played under Ange Postacoglu. Whether you were a fan of the back three or not, I think we can sort of all agree that we like to see Australia have a go. That's mm. part of our DNA. And we've seen from you know World Cup experiences gone by that when we have actually had a crack and played a more proactive style, that it has put those bigger nations under pressure. And that's what we want to see. But was this foreseeable, though? I mean, Van, Mar- Van Marbeck has a re- Reputation, even coming uh, from the Netherlands, like uh, uh, 2010 being, World Cup final, exactly, of being extremely pragmatic. I mean, I got the sense of this guy that he's almost kind of like his relationship to Dutch football was almost like that of, you know, Pereira's to Brazil. He's he's the guy who, who got results, but yeah, you know, he's seen as just far too. You know, pragmatic and far too breaking with the tradition, the grand you know, tradition of, of, of Dutch football. I don't want to dab him before you know he's even uh, had a competitive match, but I am kind of getting the vibe that he might be a charismatic Pim van Ber- Verbeek. Oh, can you even <laughs> say that? A charismatic and Pim Verbeek, that's an oxymoron, <laughs> isn't it? I don't think you can say that. And we've all known the Dutch to be pragmatic um, in their football, but also pragmatic in nature. Um, you know, um, They're not the most charismatic people, I will say, with the greatest of respect, but um, I think that... that I th- sexy football. <laughs> it's very Europe. sexy, very <laughs> sexy. Football. But it's not sexy football. That's the problem that we have with it, right? Yep. So we know that we have this massive influx, this wave of this Dutch football philosophy hit Australia um, ever since Hus Hiddink yes. arrived, but we loved the football that the soccer is played under Hus. Um, and I feel like that that Dutch revolution um, in that particular period has died off now. Um, we need to be looking at a, at, a, at a different style, a different way of playing, because football has evolved since then. Um, and that then this opens up an entire Pandora's box of other conversations about where we're at as a footballing nation and, and what our footballing identity is. I think mm. that's the thing that has become quite lost in all of this. It's that we've brought in Bert on a short-term basis with the understanding that, OK, we are gearing towards the future when Graham Arnold then gets appointed into the role officially. 
But who do we want to be at this World Cup? What do we want to achieve? Is it down to footballing style? Is it down to results? What do we want? Can we go with both? I don't think we're going to get both with Bert. Mm. So we yeah. have to settle with, okay, we're going there for a result. If Bert yeah. truly believes that the only way to do that is by playing pragmatic football, then we, ha- we, we don't have a say in this, do we? But we would like to see them have a go. That I think we can all agree on. Which then brings me to the next point of who's going to start up front for us? Well, that's been the big talking point, hasn't it? And I will say, I never like to see a player injured, but the fact that Tommy Jordich's exit has now opened the door for Jamie McLaren. Ooh, a team itch. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> Kevin. Team itch Jeff. not backing Jurich. Oh, look, oh, yeah. Well, that's you, man, from going back home. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Croatians are going to string me up and crucify me after this. How dare I? But mm. from a footballing perspective, I think it's great. Maka should have been included in the squad. Absolutely. Can we just say that? And yep. why he yeah. was not included. I mean, I started to try and think about it objectively and say, okay, how much more did the guy need to do to be given a call-up? That was where my mind went to immediately. But then the subsequent question to that, when I started to think about it more rationally, was, okay, does he not suit what Bert is trying to achieve? But then when you think about that, it's also ludicrous because, again, the guy's scoring goals. Isn't that what we need to be doing? Absolutely. The only possible excuse I can think for it is... Just Bert coming in so late into the, the equation. He didn't see Jenny in the A-League. He had no concept of the fact biggest Australian scorer in the A-League ever, backed up season after season. Uh, and all he saw was this bloke trying hard in the Scottish Premier League and not actually doing very much up until the last few weeks when suddenly he came on uh, and he found his confidence and found his touch. Uh, and as a, as a result, just went swoosh over Bert's head. Mm. He named a squad and all hell broke loose. I don't know that that can go swish over your head, though, can it? Well, he'd already picked the the squad before the hat-trick. I mean, this is the thing that gets me. What on earth is the point of picking a 32-man squad if you already know you're 26 Mm. and you've told the 26 who are going to be turning up? It's a good point. Uh, It's just... And then something like that happens. And you've got to rip it up and start again. And perhaps it's a blessing in disguise. And again, like I said, you never like to see these sort of situations occur. I think a a lot of people can say that they remember that moment, um, and not in fond ways, where Ange Postacoglu left uh, Aaron Moy out of the squad. (laughs) And then the player came off injured, and then we went, no one likes to see a player come off injured, but thank God, because it means we can inject Aaron Moy here. And it's the same in this scenario. Um, I know that Tommy Jordic has actually been struggling. He hadn't played in more than a month and then missed the last five matches of his season. Um, uh, with FC Luzerne. So when you look at that, on the balance of that, you think, okay, he's selected the team that he thinks is the best possible group that he could take with him. But to let something like that go swish over your head, even before the hat-trick, I thought that Jamie was putting in a good shift. Oh, definitely. So, yeah. and, and that, to me, sort of suggests that he's relying very heavily on his Dutch assistants that he's brought in. We mm. know that um, Ante Milicic, who was there under the Postacoglu regime, is still there, but is he being utilised to the best of his capabilities? He's been deployed in Croatia. The reason why he went to Croatia was that so that he could spread his recruitment tentacles out in a much easier fashion and could bounce around Europe to get a look at all these players. Uh, Kramaric, the youngster that we know that's been included in this squad, um, that you'd have to say is a Teza special, an Ante Milicic special. He's identified Mm. him within the Croatian league and thought this is a perfect opportunity. But how heavily is Ante being relied on? I'm not sure that he is very much so. It certainly doesn't sound like he's been called in for background information uh, on Jamie. But again, the other thing I will take from that is that he's willing to admit his mistakes. Mm. He brought in Jamie uh, after the outcry. I don't uh, think he had a choice, though. No, Where I don't think so Where else could he go? No, no. Where else could he go? I think the interesting thing is whether he's going to get a run 
uh, in the next two games. Well, do we that's, think so, Jeff? That, that's the interesting thing about the friendlies. I think in, you know, we, we talk kind of with, with tactics, and I'm, I'm kind of conscious that it's almost cart before the horse. Like I think like personnel might def- might determine the way that you know the soccer is actually played more than any great degree of you know. Uh, Bert saying, "Okay, this is how I want you to play." I mean, I think the yeah, kind of the biggest statement he'll make is in the eleven he picks and yeah, and the and the substitutions he, uh, he decides to make. I mean, that will kind of have. I think that might have uh, be a give us more uh, kind of a pointer towards uh, how the soccerers will play, rather than you know, kind of just any kind of abstract kind of uh, it's an kind of tactics. It's an interesting point that you make because then all I'll do is cast your mind back to that 2010 final, right, mm-hmm. in which they ended up losing to Spain. He had a good quality side. I don't care what anybody says. That mm. was a group of very talented individuals in that maybe team. Maybe not by Dutch still, standards. <laughs> but they still came... Well, no, maybe not by Dutch standards, but they still came out and hacked the absolute shit mm. out of Spain. And I thought, this is not how you play this style of football with this group of players, whether you agree that they were the best... They weren't the best team in the world, but to walk out of that... I mean, it's the same argument that we level at Mourinho. Right? When you've got the keys to a Ferrari and you're driving it like a Datsun, okay, why are you keeping these players, particularly when you isolate it in Pogba's respects? I know we're getting off the beaten track here, but it's a good example. right? Mm. You've got this tiger, essentially, that's been caged, playing in a more deep-lying midfield role. Let him loose. Let him go. Um, and I think at this stage, wherever your mind sits on the quality of the playing group that we have within this Socceroos team now... I think we could all agree that, okay, is it good to go to a World Cup and get absolutely towed up and walk away and think, all right, we tried to play exciting football, but we got absolutely belted? Some will say no. But do you want to walk out of there? And this is, again, pulling the car before the horse too. Do you want to go there, play pragmatic football, still mm-hmm. get killed, and then make an early exit out of the World Cup? It just depends where your mind sits. And, again, it's down to aesthetics, mm-hmm. right? It's all a personal preference. So I find it very interesting. We're not going to see a deviation from tactics from Bert. I think we can comfortably say that now, irrespective of which personnel he picks. That's my feeling anyway. Because he's already made a judgment mm. on what quality he's got at his disposal. And to me, it seems as though he's looked at this squad, analysed it and said, we don't have players that are good enough to execute a proactive style. I don't like that methodology mm. or that mm. theory. But Kevin's prior point holds. I mean, does he have enough time to actually no. kind of, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it all basically goes, goes back to Ange walking out on us. Uh, and, you know, I, I love Ange. I love what he did. Yeah. And I had uh, issues with the back three, but I think we could have talked about it. We could have resolved this. He went straight for the divorce. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, we, no counselling, no nothing. No trial separation. Honey, no pack up and get the Just fuck out. The, packed his stuff, threw my luggage out the window, everything. <laughs> um, and, you know, as a result, we've got a, a squad that has been groomed to play attractive football. Uh, now being asked to play effective, functional football. And it, it, That's I, very I, politically correct. <laughs> I, like it. I like it. Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, think it, I think it's doomed, to be honest. Doomed? I, yeah, I honestly do. I think it, it, Doomed why? Because we're not going to be proud of the football we play. Uh, we lost, you know, the three games in uh, Brazil. We <laughs> we got absolutely thrashed. You know, we we, we conceded nine goals in three games. Uh, we played 
brilliantly though. You know, we we not so much with Spain, but the other two games, we put we, we could be proud of those performances. Oh, the performance against Chile, against yeah. the Netherlands, these and, and see, that's an interesting point that you make, and it goes mm. back to the the debate that everybody's having. Do you want to go there and get killed playing shit football, or do you want to go there and get killed playing good football? Yeah. And that's the lesson that you take out of Brazil, which was that people were still proud of us yeah. and the way that we played. So there, we've answered the question already. Yeah. And I think, Bert, you know, I'm not saying he will play agricultural football. He'll play the panel beater style. It's <laughs> looking like he's going to, to borrow Francis's phrase. Um, it, it looks like he's, he's heading in that direction. But I still think there's room there where we can take what we were doing with Ange, put it into a back four, and just bring that forward. Because he Without did. having to rip everything up, without having to reteach everybody everything. But then on the flip side of that, Right, you've got to look at okay. As a manager coming in, the incumbent manager, you know that you're going to the World Cup and you've got a limited amount of time with this playing group. Mm-hmm. You're not under any obligation to carry on the no. legacy of this footballing nation. He didn't give two shits, mm. right? Let's be honest, mm. because if we were in that position ourselves, it's like being told that when you started a new job, that you have to do exactly what your predecessor did in order to gain success. And you might disagree with that entirely, and that won't come naturally to you either. Mm. We've seen what Bert's done. We saw what he did with the Saudi. He had moments where he played, you know, there were pockets of interesting bits of play throughout the Saudis games that I watched. I thought, okay, they're having a go here. But predominantly, it's sitting back, parking the bus and and hoping to hit on the counter and saying a few Hail Marys on the way. Um, We're not going to get any kind of deviation from him. I don't expect that. But I remember actually somebody asking a question. We did a Facebook Live and it really got my mind thinking, what what will determine success for us as a nation at this tournament? How, do we, how will we walk out of this and feel like, gee, that was a success? Will it be qualifying to the round of 16? Will it be by the football that we played? I mean, Jeff, I'd love to know, what do you think? Listen, I've, I've been thinking about this too, um, and I've been, much as I love you know, constructing scenarios, like the, the one that kind of, kind of popped up in my mind was, say, you know, the Socceroos you know, kind of don't advance, but they beat the French, you know. Would that would that count as a success? It would certainly be a memory like, Ooh, to yeah. take away from the World Cup. Hey, we beat one of the, surely one of the three most talented sides in the world. If, if, is, if, is, does that constitute a success? I, th- I think the issue there, though, is if we do beat Fran- France, we're almost certainly going to uh, qualify at the group stage. Not quite sure anymore. This is another thought that just occurred if to we me. Beat that, France yeah. and lost the other two games. We'd have three points in the other. Two but would you still deem that a, a success? You beat um, France, one of the best teams that's going to this tournament with the quality of players that they've got. I mean, your thoughts I, on Deschamps' tactics aside. Mm. Uh, you Again, know. It, it, you know, it all just depends on the way it happens. You know, say it was a, it was an own goal. Mm. Would, would we feel great about that? Oh, the permutations around all of this. You yeah. could go for days and days, yeah, couldn't but, you? Yeah, uh, but, you know, I mean, if we, if we play in a way that is impressive when we beat France, then, yeah, I'll take that. Mm. If we squeak a win by accident mm, and don't qualify, then overall... What have we gained? You know, I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day, uh, another kind of interested observer of, uh, of the World Cup, and they were making the point that you know part of the uh, part of the identity of, of, of Australian football, as you uh, as you kind of alluded to earlier, was that maybe we don't have that self belief to contend or win a World Cup. But, but we I think, I think, used to, Jeff. Well, That's here's the point. 2006, mm. we used to have that self Sure. The, the point I'd follow up on is that the, the thing that um, this point this, that this, this guy was making was that I think the thing he'd like to, that most Australian fans would like to see is that we had a side that we believe could beat any in the world. 
and then that would you know kind of you know kind of enable a lot of things around you know, our football that um, and, and that's what we had I think in in that um, in that two thousand stretch I mean sure maybe maybe that side wasn't going to be a World Cup champion but yeah, put them on a true. field with yeah. any other eleven in the world they had a chance at actually in, in yeah. a friendly environment yeah we yeah. could beat them and we did you know we we frequently turned in results against the odds against big teams. Mm. But went toe-to-toe with them too. That's the difference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But when we went into a competitive environment, uh, not so much. Mm. Uh, We we did tend to struggle. You know, we were up against Italy, who only had 10 men for most of the game, and never really looked like coming close to scoring. Uh, Yes, the way they won. We did. Jerks, (laughs) you Italian jerks, I can still say, because it still hurts. Um, you know, we did still concede uh, the terrible penalty, but we were never looking like we were going to win apart from penalties. But you know what? It goes back to what Jeff's saying, that self-belief. I think that that's something that um, has, has been absent for quite some time now. That's why and we still get Tim Kay on the, the <laughs> Well, uh, you know, that's another argument. Mm. Should he be there? Does he deserve to be there? Um, I like your point on this, Kevin. Go, make which, it. Which, which, which point was But what, what Kale actually brings in yeah, the, in I mean, those stacks to the to a squad. He, he has such complete and utter self-belief, self-confidence, uh, that you know it infects everybody else. Uh, there is nobody else in that team that has anything like the self-confidence, self-belief drive that he has. But the you, presence too, right, yeah, of having yeah. a player like that, of that quality and that calibre in your dressing room. I mean, so oh, many yeah. young players. Arzani, for example, has said that he's inspired me so much. Absolutely. I mean, to have that experience there and somebody to look up to that's been to the dance several times beforehand, mm. that's invaluable. Before they've even kicked a football in a competitive match, that presence in the dressing room is huge. Yeah. Um, what he still has to offer from a footballing perspective, I think he's got something. I think he does. He's going to give it his best shot. This is his mm-hmm. last World Cup. At his age now, you bring him off the bench. If he can get Hope that so. head in the box <laughs> and whip something in for us, take him. Because that goes back to what we were saying earlier. So then Tommy Yordich falls out of the squad, we bring in Maka. Let's say, God forbid, something else happens to one of the players up front. Who else do we bring in? Who else have we got? Oh, well, this is it. I mean, you know, aside from the tried and testers, Leckie, Cruz, who are, you know, goal every seven games, eight mm. games, which mm. is just outrageous. Juric is only a goal every four games. Yeah. Uh, we don't have goal scorers. But Naboo, Petratos, mm. new, ge- new breed, new generation, it's a big step up for them. Mm. Uh, I mean, Naboo, <laughs> his career looked over, what, yeah. two years ago? Yeah. Uh, and, and hasn't and he just been revitalised? Potentialised, potential World Cup debut. Uh, so, you know, there's possibilities there that we've not explored. And I think we have to explore them. That's the thing. Agreed. We're in a position where we just ha- we cannot carry on with the same loose attempts up front. We need to bring something new in. Uh, but Cahill, I, I still would have him in the side. But, uh, why would you not? Yeah. Uh, no, the, the whole thing is Russia, of course. Uh, we had Benita uh, Mesaides. Great Pronunci- pronunciation still not there, but no I, I, I try, I try. I'm we'll Scottish. drag you into that Croatian gulag. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a couple of weeks in there, they'll fix mm. you up. Um, she was saying that she thought Russia was lucky to uh, that Qatar got the, the World Cup and managed oh. to slip under the radar as a result, <laughs> oh, as yeah. to how they managed to get it. Oh. But given that they have got it and it is underway, um, what do you think we're going to actually get? 
from them? I look, you know what? I was quite surprised. Um, I didn't have any preempted thoughts before I went to the Confederations Cup last year and what to expect from them as a nation. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised in terms of um, logistically how everything was set up and just you know how beautiful the country is itself aesthetically. Probably one of the most unique and special experiences I've had travelling. It's like nothing you can compare to anything in Europe that I've seen, and I haven't done as much as tra- as much travel as what I would have liked. But from what I have seen, that Russia's a standalone in that way. Um, you know, the atmosphere, even just for the confeds, was great. Everyone was buzzing. They were all really up for it. And I think with the World Cup, irrespective of how far Russia go in this tournament, because I think even as a nation, they're being realistic in terms of their chances. They're qualified because they are the host nation, let's be honest. Would they be there otherwise? No, probably not. But, and that's what's said with the greatest of respect. Um, but ultimately, I think what we're going to see is a spectacle, but it will be a unique spectacle. It's not going to be something that you compare to Brazil. Because Brazil, they we know, they live, these South Americans, they live and breathe football. This is their bread and butter. Like, they worship it like it's their second god. Um, but I think it, I think it will be uh, great. Um, you know, once you get this influx of fans, um, you know, for those of you that have been to a World Cup tournament um, in the host nation, I haven't been. This is the first for me. But you, you see that excitement. The fans bring that excitement. It doesn't matter what the playground is. It's going to come to life from all the, the, the key players and the key pieces there. So I'm looking forward to it. And I think it's I think fans will be pleasantly surprised. They'll be given a real treat. You're based in Moscow or Kazan? Moscow. Moscow. So, and yeah. I did travel to Kazan um, for the Confeds, that's a, that's a really cool city, um, very charming in itself. Again, the architecture, all of that is really quite special. Um, but I think it's a good base for the Socceroos. Um, they're quite close for that opening group stage game against France to the stadium and things like that. So from a logistical perspective, it suits, it's good. Um, the distance for where they have to travel for their subsequent games, okay, it's not that great, but we know Russia is a very, Huge. very big, big <laughs> country. So, and a lot of teams are actually being put into that situation. Colombia, actually, the luckiest, they have to travel the, the least, least distance of anybody. Yeah. Um, but um, I, th- I think it's, it's going to be good. It'll be a very unique World Cup for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing because um, I was in Brazil uh, and based in Vitoria with the Socceroos last time. Fabulous. And it, it was a beautiful city. It was like Double Bay, actually. You know, do we have been <laughs> primed for this crime-ridden Wankers drinking coffee. Was exactly. there a lot of that, was there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Paying twice the price for everything. <laughs> I paid twelve dollars for a coffee. Don't in Brazil. Yeah. Oh, that's I think twelve I think dollars. I remember you exclaiming I was about that. So unhappy. <laughs> yeah, and I paid thirteen dollars for one in Double Bay the other day. So it's not. <laughs> <all that>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I, w- I was in Vitoria, and while it was beautiful, it wasn't host city, so we didn't really have that mm. vibe. Uh, and Socceroos said themselves, you know, it was great. It was a lovely city, great re- uh, resources for them. But you didn't really get that party atmosphere until you got to Rio. Yeah. Uh, and I was lucky. I had, I think, five, three or five days in Rio. And it was just a whole different uh, experience from that point onwards. I think it'll be very similar in Russia. In I think, Moscow, I think Kazan. Yeah. Big hub, um, but the fact that Kazan is a host city, mm-hmm. uh, in the, the four weeks that I'm going to be there, I'm going to have see French fans, Germany fans, Spanish fans, Colombian fans, Iran. It's going to be fantastic. And it's not just going to be this cavalcade of multiculturalism. And, you know, providing uh, the Russian fans don't go mental 
I think it's going to be a superb experience. I'm so looking forward to it. Good sports town by all account too. Like I was interviewing some uh, swimmers, some Australian swimmers, when they had uh, they had a FINA World Championships there a couple of years ago, I think, and um, none of them had ever heard of the sea that they were going to uh, going to compete in, and uh, they were pleasantly surprised too. They yeah. said, yeah, so it was quite a good place. Uh, they're also still quite passionate about football, right? We've seen mm-hmm. some of the craziest ultras coming out of Russia as well, mm, and yeah. we've seen the, you know the, the the history, of course, that Ceska Moscow have within the Champions League, mm. um, as an example. Spartak Moscow. I mean, you know, they 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 love their football clubs there too. So it's but, not like but we're s- planting it in a country no. that only gives a shit about handball <laughs> or swimming. They still have a passion for football. But that's a still the thing that still does amaze me. We were talking about yeah. in the office. You know, yeah. right, football is essentially a primary sport uh, in Russia. They have spent a lot of money elsewhere in the world on football. Chelsea, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, and had great Thank success. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> and yet, success at club, continental, national level just seems to elude them. It continues to, and I think that's ultimately just down to, you know, you can compare it to so many of the, the other leagues around the world that don't fall into the German or the Spanish, um, just as an example, the English bracket. Um, they seem to love their football, but a lot of it's getting farmed out. So you've got Roman Abramovich investing in yeah. the English Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine what he could do if he decided to invest actually in Russia yeah. um, with the same level of dedication, um, because they know that, um, you know, that these big leagues around the world, that's where the money's at. Yeah. So build it and they will come. And yeah. He certainly built it in um, Stanford Bridge. But given the population as well of Russia, the mm. primary sport, I mean, the ingredients are there for them to have a more successful Russian national team than you know they ever have. Th- Yet it, it seems to have I eluded think, them. I think they've got a breed, actually, of, of I guess you would, would call the English problem right now. I mean, you talked about how you know, they needed to keep more resources actually in Russia. I think they actually have all the resources they need. One of the big issues that if you look at their side, it's almost entirely Russian-based. Yeah. You do have to wonder about like the you know, kind of... And we have this debate about you know, kind of the A-League all the time. Like, is, is the A-League too much of a safety net to keep our, you know, our, our players at home rather than they can push themselves you know, and better competition uh, in, in other parts of the world? So, you know, there's certainly that element, I think, uh, with, with Russian football. Um, the, the other thing that, you know, kind of, because this question kind of fascinates me, because honestly, like, you know, pharmacology aside, this is, you know, to the one side, this is an outstanding sports nation. You know, they, they output, and I'm talking team sports here. I'm not even talking about, like, your, your, your track or, you know, your, your gymnastics or, or, or what have you, um, you know. Dominant in ice hockey, very good in basketball. Like th- this is, you know, they, they obviously have the capability to be very good, kind of in football. But I think one of the things is historically, when you look at it, is, um, uh, and I find this very interesting. A lot of the the things that gave Soviet football drive were contributions from the republics. You know, you'd have a Ukrainian, you'd have a Belarusian, you'd mm-hmm. have. Like, it, it was. It, it's it's fascinating to me just how often. That it was someone from the Soviet periphery could pull in from the, the yeah that, that would actually yeah, yeah yeah like someone like Lobanovsky's a you know was a Ukrainian so yeah. it um yeah whether that element has gone out of their football and has has mm. thus kind of yeah, kind of led to a, to a period of decline. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, thought. Also, they've also got a reputation for attracting uh, a large number of Brazilians yeah. um, within a particular uh, football club as well, um, and that's ultimately because 
with the greatest of respect to those particular players, we know that actually some of them have gone on to do bigger and better things elsewhere, but for them it's a stepping stone. Mm. And a lot of people could say that and argue that about the A-League. But one thing we also need to remember, and I know that Chile and the Netherlands in particular, even Italy, you know, it's so weird to consider that these footballing nations aren't going to be at the World Cup. Um, but football is cyclical. Yeah. Right, so we know that, and we we know that better than any nation. Now we often love to reflect on the two thousand and six golden generation of Australian football. We've got to move on from that because now, as I said, football is cyclical. We are in a different period, a different cycle. Um, and you know, there are some nations that, like you look at Japan, for example. Years ago, they developed a fifty-year football plan <laughs> with the ambition that they would win the World Cup by the end of it. Um, you know, that's stuff to be admired. That's something that we as a footballing nation need to be looking at and, and accepting as the pinnacle and something to strive for from a strategy perspective. Who do we want to be and what do we want to achieve? It's so easy for us to say, we want to win a World Cup one day. What the fuck are we actually going to do to win it? What strategies are we putting in place? What areas are we looking at within the Australian footballing framework um, to be able to achieve that? How are our grassroots? How are all these things, the pathways to the professional game? What are they like? In order to get that, le- get to that level and achieve that, these things need to be thriving and healthy. Absolutely, but the bottom line with it all is the cost, mm. and the money's not there. I, const- I think the money I, is there. Oh, I think it's being it, poorly distributed. No, That's what we're I, looking I, at. I think to achieve the level of success that we need to do, we, you, and I keep citing this as an example because it just it still leaves me awestruck. Mm-hmm. Germany decided in 2000 that they had to do something about their team. Mm-hmm. The next 10 years, they spent a billion dollars on development. Nothing else. Player development, 100 million a year for 10 years. We just don't have anything like that. There's, and th- and there's that, one component. And that's a, in a country with the infrastructure, the mentality, the culture, everything. Uh, we can't even begin to compete with that. You know what, though? What do the South Americans have to say about that? Mm. Right, where you've got kids growing up on street football. They don't have mm. anywhere near the resources True. that we do. All they have is the love of the game. Wherever these kids go, they're cutting a football around, they're kicking it around the street. How much of that do you see? I pulled over the other day almost in shock because I saw kids actually knocking the football around in a cul-de-sac I was driving past. I went, you called the police? <laughs> <laughs> it was in the eastern suburbs, too. I thought, they can't be from here. They're not from here. But, you know, for me, that's a, that's a really crucial element here that we have to consider. Um, Alyosha Asanovic, you know, one of the legends of the Croatian national football team, he is now coaching at the Melbourne Knights um, down in Victoria. We had him up here to, um, to do some of our international friendlies. And I remember one comment he made when we were all out in the courtyard having a good jibber. He said, guys, and even in Croatia's pers- in the, in, from their perspective, they don't have anywhere near the resources. Again, it's just the love of the game. He said, how are you guys not doing better? How are you not producing better players with the resources that you've got, the stadium infrastructure as well. Um, that's a, that's another talking point. So it can't just be about money. Mm. Um, it can't just be about that for me. Um, and I feel I th- like I think we've we lost have, a lot you of know, that. The, the thing is, I think we do have a lot of the ingredients in place, but perhaps the one thing we don't have is necessarily... We, I think we are missing a bit of the culture. Definitely. Of course we are. Uh, mm. But Absolutely. I think the money is, is an, an important part of it. But look at how much they're charging kids, for example. Up in Queensland, I was almost you know, doubling over in shock when I found out that for under fives, they're charging them up to $2,500 to play in an academy. 
You know, when I was speaking to my old man, he still actually has the receipts from when Ned went to play for the ACT Academy as, yeah. as like a 12 or 13-year-old boy. He said, oh, I'll go and pull them out of my filing cabinet, just out of curiosity. I said, Dad, okay, tell me, how much did you pay? He keeps the receipts. <laughs> just still, from those days. And I don't 25, know if it's... 25, I didn't act as charged. You know? I mean, but, but, you know, I love it because... I think you should tell your dad that they don't charge anything and they just, you know, let's give this guy some, <laughs> some bills. <laughs> Uh, but his bookkeeping skills still amaze me. But, you know, yeah. the, the, and I said to him, Dad, out of curiosity, what did, you, you know, you get charged for Ned to play? $80. $80 registration fee at an academy, right, where you were, if you were selected, you were being regarded as the best in the state, right? And then you've now got under fives being charged $2,500 at an academy in Queensland. But That's a big problem for me, right? Because what about those parents that have children that cannot afford to pay that amount and they're talented and they've got something to show for. They slip through the cracks. But the thing is, football academies, football schools, football training on a Saturday morning, how much of that is sport and how much of that is childcare? Mm -hmm. There you go. (laughs) There you go. And how much of that is also down to mentality, you know? And I don't want to compare apples to oranges here, but back then, you know, if you had a shit game, you were told you had a shit game, right? Mm. But, uh, you know, whether you look at that as constructive or harsh... We still produced a lot of mentally tough players, which is mm. what we, when we talk about footballing identity, were regarded as. We were strong. We were physical. Do we have much of that left in what us anymore? That? Do we have the grunt and yeah. the whatever rhymes with grunt <laughs> left in us? <laughs> was that right as a footballing nation? Yeah. I don't know that we do anymore, and that's largely because of how we're raising the kids. You know, you come off, you lose a game. Well done, Johnny. We're going to give you a participation award. You cop ten goals and you came last this season, but bravo, son. No, I don't know that that's right. I was that that resilience the product of the fact that they had to leave Australia to go pursue their football? That too. I've I've actually thought about this question a lot because it's something what I wrote for kind of our our upcoming edition of Inside Support. There's a plug. Uh, um, (laughs) Now you're doing the right thing. Thirty minutes in. There you go. To what degree does you know does does kind of national power, does wealth, does culture kind of influence your success in football at the top level? And the thing that kind of motivated the question for me is I was thinking a lot about these these golden generation teams, our own Portugal's. I had this. I did this exercise where I went onto Wiki and you know, just punched in Golden Generation, and it was funny. I was telling Kevin the other day that you had about six different sides that all considered their Golden Generation to cover about the same period. So you know, somebody had to lose out of that. You know, out, out of those out of those six sides. Well, more than you know. Actually, I don't think any of them won the World Cup in that in that stretch of time. But the the, the I guess the, the point I'm making is to what level of. Um, you know, we kind of romanticize kind of poverty in football in, in terms of, you know, how it can, it can produce, uh, you know, fantastic talent can come out of the leanest circumstances. But, you know, when it what comes to... What do you mean by that? Romanticize it in a bad uh, way, do you feel? Yeah, I do. I do, because I think when, you, when it comes to the business of winning the World Cup or really contending for the World Cup, wealth really matters. You know, even countries that we would say that, you know, say an Argentina or a Brazil, where you get players who come out of, you know, out of, uh, out of poverty, out of yeah, kind of poor upbringings, there are still countries with a lot of wealth, and that wealth can be brought to bear in the system at, at critical times, or it can be accessed when they, when they need it. So how do you treat the Brazil case study in that regard, where wealth wasn't a big thing? Football is their primary mm. sport, and they all love it. They like are Brazil, all passionate yeah, about it. Brazil is a rich country. Like, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just not well distributed among their population. But when you need to actually resource something in Brazil, you, you certainly can do it to a, to a great degree. And I think the, the difference there is that, yes, there is poverty amongst the population, mm. but the 
uh, Brazilian Federation itself is not a poverty-stricken confederation. But they still uh, have sorry, to uh, get to that point where they're mm. being selected for their respected national teams. They still, from the ages of zero up until 11, 12, thereabouts, Absolutely. they and still have to have that level of talent to be able to push them towards the next trajectory. To me, the real laboratory case, and I think Lucy will appreciate this, is that you know, when, because we've got them at this World Cup, it's great to talk about them, but Iceland... That, you know, there you that, go. That's a town with a population. Sorry, that's a country with a population less than that of Canberra, mm. and yet they can produce enough footballers, you know, to, to create a world, a world Cup side. And they've and, invested a lot in football. And recently, that's the thing. Though, and they actually, go. the money actually came from. It was actually one of the side effects of the of the financial crisis that they had so much money coming into the country. It was paper wealth. It wasn't real wealth, but you know. Uh, the, 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 you know, kind of the, the financial kind of masters of the universe that had to put the money into something. So they figured, let's put it into football. And they built things like those hangars of theirs, you know, those covered oh. stadiums that they can play when they don't have sunlight, like, you know, nine months a year or, or whatever it is. And, yeah, they, um, they, yeah, they kind of they invested enough coaching where, you know, they talk about the, the UEFA B license, right? They have, they have a UEFA B license holder in Finland, one for every 400 people. Wow. I think in, in Germany it's like 3,000. Larger country, of course. Yeah. And in, in England it's almost 30,000. It's an interesting yeah. stat. So that, yeah. it's Finns don't have much else to do than <laughs> licenses do. Iceland. Iceland. And, and the problem is we do have a lot to do in this country, right, when we compare mm. our sporting landscape to that of Absolutely. others that are at this World Cup. I mean, kids nowadays, especially if you treat it in that respect a sport for choice you know our main rivals are not only ourselves but also then afl rugby league don't give a shit about rugby union to be honest because they've completely fallen off the radar no disrespect (laughs) but again we're competing with other codes here that have been around a lot longer that are doing it better than what we are but what do you do what do you say there's no silver bullet here is there it's cultural it's financial it's it's everything is the bottom line question that we can say if the soccer is do better than russia at this world cup we're doing okay (laughs) (laughs) if we're asking what constitutes success yeah well we still haven't come to a definitive conclusion <laughs> on what constitutes success for us at this World Cup. And on that bombshell, I think we're going to have to bring this to an end. Um, Lucy, when did you fly to Russia? 6th of June, next Wednesday. Yeah, day after me. I'm you! Like, I'm not going to be there on the 5th. Uh, I'll meet when, you there with a few the vodkas. I'll have them waiting for Excellent. you, Kev. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. When does the uh, TV coverage start? Uh, TV coverage starts pretty soon thereafter. Yep. Um, we're going to have some shows, getting up and running, some preview shows that are going to go to air. We've got World Cup classics, actually, that oh, we're putting great. to air too, which are so great. We were doing the links for them the other week, and I was really excited by them, just reading through them again, because my mind went straight back to those games, those key matches. So that's going to be a, a heavy feature of ours throughout the tournament, to get no. everybody in the mood. How, how far? A VPN. Crank it up! <laughs> And make sure back. it's encrypted. How far back are these classic games going? Oh, 1986, Mexico. Ah, great. Yeah, perk <laughs> up for that. Jeff, you've got an Inside Sport World Cup special coming? Yes, Rich? indeed we do. That, uh, that'll be that'll drop, I think, almost the day before the tournament. I mean, usually we don't have this uh, thing where the uh, schedule of, of sporting event lines up so perfectly with our publication schedule, but here we do. So Excellent. Be great. Match made in here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just a reminder, we've got the SBS World Cup guide, which uh, we produced with SBS. VF 442, which is on sale now, and we've also got a bumper 442 World Cup special. It's got everything. It's got the sticker album, the stickers. Have you got your sticker album underway? I've got my <laughs> Panini sticker album well underway. Excellent. Probably dedicating a little bit too much time to that damn thing. <laughs> but um, is with you after this. <laughs> and uh, we've also got a wall chart in our bundle as well, so go out and buy them all. Do it! You won't go wrong. Uh, thank you, Lucy. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, sir. And thank you, listeners. We'll speak to you uh, next time, hopefully from Russia.